crowd goes wild. They go nuts. People, they've been demanding it. They've been knocking on my door saying, we don't have enough podcasts to listen to, Amy. So if you could make a podcast with one of your favorite people in the entire world and uh, make it about your favorite thing in the entire world, the Washington Women in Jazz Festival and the DC jazz scene in general and women in music. And so I did. Just the demands of the people yes. have brought us to Gotta this Gotta give moment. the people what they want. You know? <laughs> Gotta give it to them. Gotta make it happen. <laughs> Hello, listeners. I'm Jessica Boykin-Settles, and welcome to The Turnaround, a zine and podcast based in Washington, D.C. This is a new platform to emphasize the voices, journeys, and creative pursuits of women and non-binary artists in the D.C. area. I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Amy K. Bormitt, founder of The Zine and creator of the Washington Women in Jazz Festival. For our first episode, Amy and I sat down to chat about our shared backgrounds in D.C., and our vision for this podcast. In the next several episodes, we'll sit down with people who have, over the years, helped to make the Washington Women in Jazz Festival what it has become. Jessica Boykin Settles! Here we are. Um, so why, why do you find yourself here? <laughs> what, is, what is your interest in, in women in jazz and history and all those things? Oh, you know, I feel like I've found my my tribe. That's what it feels like. It feels like coming home, like being in a place where everything aligns Mm. to me, you know? I, I just remember the thing that bought it totally full circle for me was that year we did the Shirley Horn presentation um, at the Smithsonian Anacostia Museum. And that was the year that we were having, <laughs> we were having our house renovated. Mm. And so it was only supposed to take like a month, but it took like two months or two and a half months. Yeah. So nice. I had to go to the storage space and like dig through boxes to find like equipment and stuff I needed to mm. put my presentation together for the, it was a mess. And so I remember showing up at the museum and I was like all frazzled and I was trying to tape pages together for music. And I'm just like, ah! And it was you and Karine Chapdelaine and Lydia Lewis was playing drums. And you all were like, it's okay, it's okay. Like there were hugs, I cried <laughs> a little bit. But it was like, it's fine, Jess, it's fine. Like you helped me tape music, you just like, you know, stroked my back. And, and I was like, you know, that, that was not a thing that I think could have happened in a space that was like more male centered because you know it's like well, why are you crying why mm. <laughs> yeah like what's the big deal like or like the freak out like <gasps> she's crying just leave her alone yeah. you know like okay yeah but the women you know women we know what to do like we know how to take care of each other so yeah. like whether it's on the bandstand or whether it's off the bandstand yeah. and so i think for me that has been you know, uh, a big 
when you found me <laughs> and put me to work, <laughs> that since then that has been a great source of um, validation and enjoyment and just fun. Like I look forward to the festival and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a great time. I love it too, obviously. That's why I put my put myself through this. <laughs> every every year I'm like, I'm gonna never gonna do this again. I don't wanna see another spreadsheet. No. You gotta keep going. <gasps> because it's um you are creating a community, you know, and not just a community in DC, but like you are literally creating single handedly a global women in jazz community. Mm. You know, it doesn't feel very single handedly. You're doing, <laughs> you're doing, you know, you're doing the work. You're doing the work. Well, you know, you make me do work and I usually <laughs> don't want to do nothing because, you know, I'm lazy. But it's like I every year it's like, get your. Yeah, you know what I say about up. you. You're lazy. Like multiple, multiple jobs, multiple teaching gigs, multiple uh, degrees coming yeah, out, making it happen. That's, that's happening. Yeah, wow. So. Well, I, uh, we first really met so long ago and I, I was thinking about it and I was, I can't even, I, I don't ever imagine being in DC and not knowing you and not playing music with you. And I couldn't remember this morning when we first met. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah I've tried. I've just assumed that we've always been friends and we've always played music together. <laughs> I mean, it would have had yeah. to have been, I guess, when you came to I, because I you were institute. you were at the institute before yeah. you came to Howard, yeah, right? Oh, way so, before, yeah. So I guess that was where we where we initially met. I guess I have no idea. The Washington I just Jazz Arts Institute. We just, we just came out of the womb together. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you and Brian came out of the womb. Y'all okay, are I'll twins. Take I'll take it. And so, okay, that's fine. I must have been at your wedding then. Um, <laughs> that's when we met. I, you're just somebody that continues to inspire me in everything that you're doing and and um make me feel like a a better uh musician but also a better community member and a, like thoughtful researcher and thinking thinking further about what kind of legacy I want to have but also how how I want to teach and how I want to mentor and you know you're the reason I went to Howard University H-U. Uh, I would never have gone to grad school. <laughs> I feel like there's a lit long list of people who would I would have never gone to grad school, but for Jessica Boykin Settles um, being like, don't you? I think that's a good move for you. I think you're going to have a good time. Like, ah, oh, right. Okay. I should have get, been getting some uh, some fu- some kickbacks from people. That, At least a sweatshirt. Some I mean, Brian go too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very I was like, okay, husband, I've done, I've done mine. Now it's time for you. Further the cause. Um, and so I, I, when I first started Washington Women in Jazz Festival, I was thinking about you and thinking about my experience at Howard and especially with, um, all of the women in the vocal department and the way that that community came together and, um, you know, traveling, I traveled with Afro Blue, playing some piano, writing some songs and, really spending a lot of time with you and with Kenetra and, and all these incredible people that were there, Terry Davis and Christy Del Shield and Eliza Birkin and, um, you know, on and on and on, Rochelle Rice. Like, just, I think about all of these women that were around and I had never had women like that around me in who were really 
really, really into jazz, really, really into the music and just incredibly talented, but also really thoughtful people. And that was something that stuck with me as I went to uh, my my second year of grad school at Howard. I was at, at Betty Carter Jazz Ahead and it was all men, male instrumentalists. And, um, and then the, the there was women vocalists. So of course, Christy Dashiel was there with me. And I was just hanging out with Christy the whole time being like, I need to keep this positive energy with me. And she Ooh, is because... such a light. She's such a yeah cool person and a bright light and a right calm calm in the midst of yes. every storm <laughs> yes and i was like women i want to be around women musicians <laughs> what can i do um you know coming out of that experience thinking like what can i do to create a space that i continually can grow from and want to be a part of that is also really healthy because so much um you know people throwing around the term toxic masculinity but so much of the jazz industry is is toxic. Um, the behaviors on the bandstand, um, the way that the educational system is set up, it's really, it's really dangerous and it's unhealthy. And I think that that's true in general for um, musicians and artists who are fighting against, uh, against the, the nature of the capitalist system that we find ourselves in. And being able to play music and be with musicians that uh, are aligned, at least coming from a more thoughtful space and more in touch with their emotions and more understanding of what's happening and what's going on on the bandstand and respectful is something that's been uh, really rewarding and not something I would have thought at the beginning, but now, especially hearing uh, during these interviews that so many people have, have found that this has been a, a space where they could truly feel more like themselves on the bandstand and bring their own music and bring their own creativity. And that's something that you have definitely modeled and are a huge part of with this community. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm no, just going to keep talking just, about it. <laughs> I, um, yeah. So I'm just thinking about when I came to Howard, it had been... I think six or seven years since I had graduated from undergrad. Mm -hmm. So going into that master's program, I was, uh, you know, I was the old head. I was <laughs> like close to 30 years old, and um, you know, but it was very affirming because like you said, like there was, um, you know, Kenetra Miller was heading up the, the vocal jazz area. And then there was uh, Kahembe Eichelberger, who at one point was our uh, department chair. Um, and just having a chance to see and work with, um, you know, other female musicians on that floor, um, watching them work, watching them, you know, write books and and produce things and um, and then mentoring me as I began my, um, you know, my journey as uh, an educator. I was just really, really lucky to have been able to, you know, be mentored in that way um, by women. And so, yeah, I definitely, you know, really take that part of what I do like really seriously and having a chance to give back and pour into 
um, young women, especially young women coming from a space where they haven't had a lot of um, experience with leading bands or even being in a in a position where they're fronting, they're they're in the fronts, and you know, um, or, or they're coming from situations where their school didn't really have a, a formal music program, you know, so they haven't built up that kind of confidence in themselves to, you know, be able to stand in front of the band and count off and, you know, so that has been very um, affirming for me to see young women grow um, into being able to be confident and, and exist in that space, even when it's not, you know, women centered, but that there are there's some men in the mix as well. Occasionally. They are right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's really powerful. And there's a certain type of misogyny that exists within the music space um, where we don't see women as band leaders, where we don't see especially women vocalists as band leaders. So I know a lot of your your inspirations have come from uh, other women musicians that uh, and singers that have have brought that strength and that band leading skill. So who who do you feel like are your your musical ancestors that you're, Ooh, you've been referencing? First and foremost, Abby Lincoln. Oh my absolute favorite, my favorite, because I think that for me she was the first before. You know, Betty Carter would be my, you know, my second, but the first person that I discovered who was not only just a jazz vocalist, but a composer mm. um, and was able to kind of create this world, um, like her own world and just like draw you in to that world. I was just, it's just mesmerizing. Yeah. Um, and Betty Carter, the same thing. Um you know, when I lived in New York, I got a chance to see both of them live, you know, which was amazing. Um, so those two and then Shirley Horn, for many reasons. One, because she's a D.C. native. I'm a D.C. native. Um, I aspire to play the piano, although I play very badly. Live, <laughs> live. Um, but her as a, as a band leader... And just watching her work, I, I got a chance to see her live as well. Um, but watching her work and then hearing the way that her band members would talk about her, you know, just the experience of working with her was just such an important part of their lives. Like to hear Steve Williams talk about her. I mean, he was really young when he started playing in her band. And yeah. um, well, Charles Abels didn't really say a whole bunch, <laughs> but other people who have, you know, played in her band, like the way they talk about her as being such a force and, um, you know, and so inspiring and how every performance was just this just transformative experience. You know, I, um, yeah, I'm very inspired by that. Mm. That's something that I continually hear from people who come to see you perform. Oh, 
is <laughs> the vibe, you know? Yeah, that's something that you, when you perform, there's an entire like magical bubble that you extend to the audience that I love. And I love being on the stage. And I have to admit that I also really love just watching you because there is so much potential there for bringing the audience in uh, in a theatrical way that I think a lot of jazz musicians don't do, that they don't allow themselves to create a space wholly. But you have a way of drawing people in. I'm a ham. Wow. Big old ham. (laughs) You are definitely not a ham. I like that turning up turning up to number two on the expressive chart in, in terms of jazz musicians. You're like, well, now I'm a ham. She just called me a cheese ball. That's it. You, you, you delicious cheese ball. No, you're definitely not. That's, that's the other thing is like, you're very cool. I mean, I'm a nerd, so I don't know if that means anything. But for me, I feel the, the coolness of, of you and, and you're super hip and you're super... The way you draw people in is not, it's not a false, phony cabaret singer. I mean, I love a cabaret singer, but you know, like that's <laughs> not too. what you're going for. You're actually thinking about, not even thinking, you're actually embodying the story and embodying the music in a way that I feel is so organic and so um, fitting and so in the moment. Well, I, <clears throat> so this is a funny story. Mm. When I was in elementary school, we had this program called the Storytellers. And so they would have these little conventions, like, you know, a couple of times during the school year where you would go, they would have it at, hold it at different schools in the area. And so you would go and then the kids from the school would would come to the, the, you know, the cafeteria or the auditorium or whatever, where they would have- Yes, the multi-purpose space. <laughs> and you would they would arrange the chairs in circles. And so each of the storytellers would sit, you know, you would have your circle. And so people would move from one circle to the next to hear you tell your story. Oh. And so I had props and my book <laughs> was called Phoebe and the Hot Water Bottles. <gasps> The hot water bottles. Yes. And it was about this young girl mm. who collected water bottles. Okay. And this was like, you know. Her and you thing. made that interesting. I made it interesting. <laughs> I had my puppet and I would tell my story. And so I just have always loved books and reading mm. and telling stories and that sort of thing. And so for me, you know, when I'm singing, you know, that's the most important thing is always just trying to get the story across. Mm. And so I think about, you know, there again, Abby Lincoln, how she used her eyes, Mm. how Betty Carter used like her whole body Mm. to tell um, the story, how Shirley Horn used dynamics to tell the story. And so, you know, I just try to channel them and I just try to, you know, the story is bigger than me. So, I just try to get lost in there and make myself small, but make the story mm. big. And so I guess that's that's what happens. Yeah, that's magical. So much of what 
I have experienced in the jazz education system has been theory-based. Um, I'm talking about in schools, theory-based, uh, improvisation-based scales. You know, when I'm talking about improvising, it was always scales and chords and melodies, crafting melodies, those types of ideas. And little space was left for actually crafting a narrative and crafting a, a, a space for the audience to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And so hearing you say that feels so validating because <laughs> that feels so natural as, as a singer and as a, a person who's trying to really connect mm-hmm. with whoever is in the space with mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I feel like I'm still trying to apply that to improvisation because like you, like I'm in that space now where I just get very jammed up. It's like, what am I supposed to be doing? No, this is different. Oh, I should be thinking about this 2-5. I don't know about this. <laughs> but when you listen to, when you listen to Betty Carter improvise, you can hear that, you can hear the story, Yeah, you know? And when you hear Shirley Horn, she didn't do a lot of, um, you know, vocal Im- Im- improvise, but of course her piano solos yeah. are just, it's just nothing but a story. Yeah. Yeah. Just exquisite. Yeah. So I'm still in that space. I don't I don't think that I'm, you know, a really I wouldn't consider myself to be a really good improviser <laughs> at this point, but I'm trying wow. to get to I'm sorry if you're not there. To to that. No, I'm trying. Mm. I'm I am I'm getting there. You're doing. Yeah. I'm in my head a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. I think it's a Taurus. I don't know if that's a, like a Taurus thing. or Sure, let's blame it on the stars. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I think it's just an uh, anxiety, society, overthinking thing. Yeah. I, I understand that. Definitely. I spend so much time thinking about how can I shut myself up on the inside. Just shut off that editor. Shut off the critic. Because especially thinking about writing, too. It's like, what is writing but improvising and then writing it down? Mm-hmm. And the same critic will appear like, you know, you start writing something out and then it's like, this is boring. This is this is cheesy. You're a cheese, Paul. This is, this is dull. Somebody's already done this. You know, all of those things. And something that for me that has really been, been helping is um, thinking about how many years I spent playing the same songs that everyone wrote. And now that I write my own songs... A lot of the, you know, a lot of the stories that come out might have been told before, but they've never been told by me. Right. Right. And, and a, in the way that you're going to tell the story, absolutely. you know, because it's coming from a different, a different place is coming from your perspective. And so yeah. that's always going to be original. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important for us to think about, especially as we recover from being jazz students <laughs> <laughs> oh it really is like recovering well yeah. i'm you know i'm in it again You're now i'm doing it. yeah the doctoral yeah soon to be thing dr boykin settles yeah how was that how was that experience um it just it, so far it's just been a whirlwind yeah. <laughs> because i've just finished coursework and now i'm you know in the process now of starting the dissertation process, so the proposal mm-hmm. and um, studying for comprehensive exams, and but the coursework was such a whirlwind because, I, you know, like you said earlier, I was 
working full time, going to school full time. So teaching my full load at Howard. Mm. <laughs> and then since fall 2020, taking four classes every semester, except for last, this past spring, I didn't enroll because I just, I, I needed yeah. a break. <laughs> Sounds like it. Um, but it was just a bit of a whirlwind. You know, it's kind of like you're just, knocking down the or checking off the boxes yeah. you know so i really wish that i would have taken more time to like really settle in and like savor mm. the process because i just you know i've really enjoyed my classes you know there are some great um professors at george mason university and i i, I just I enjoyed my um, my theory classes with uh, Dr. Megan Lavengood, who's a baddie, <laughs> just a theory baddie. Mm. There again, like girls rock. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I just wish I would have taken more time to savor. But um, but I am not working full time now, yes. <laughs> and so I I want to take this time to be able to sit to savor this last leg of the process and like really be able to relax into this research and creating um a dissertation that i love and will be um proud of so, yeah yeah it's gonna be amazing i already know yeah i'm still uh, i still haven't narrowed down a topic but i was um really inspired by this symposium i was we were talking earlier about this symposium i um attended on Friday, where, where I'm teaching now at Georgetown University. And um, it was a, a, a conference given by the African-American uh, Studies uh, Department. And so now just thinking about research in terms of, I just love how people would take their own personal, some kind of personal, um, love or passion or memory, some kind of memory of something that they, you know, that they love and attach it to like this research. I just thought that was fascinating. Yeah. So then this morning I was thinking, I was out walking my dog. <laughs> Shout out to Kingston. Shout out to my baby, <laughs> my little fur baby. Um, And I was just thinking about you know, that we were meeting today and thinking about, you know, the overall theme of, of, um, of the podcast and of, um, the, the magazine and just digging in and like mining these memories and, you know, remembrances. And I thought about my earliest memory, mm. which is, I remember the day I started walking. What? That's my earliest memory. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. I remember my mom standing me up at the threshold, like into the bedroom. My, and my father um, was in the bedroom and my mother like, propped me up. Because apparently I had been walking around downstairs. And then she bought me up and like propped me up and was like, walk to daddy. And I remember walking to my father and then everybody was just like, oh my God. Yeah, this is my earliest wow. memory. And so oh, that's amazing. I was like, how, 
you know, how can I tie that into, you know, some research going forward? Because that was a big thing in my life. And I'm thinking about just so how how I learned, you know, the things that happened after I learned to literally walk and the things that are are happening as after I learned to walk like in music or mm. in in jazz. Yeah. Right. So um thinking about some kind of way to 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 tie that all of that together into some interesting research. I haven't I haven't Whoa. worked it all out yet. What a cool thought. What a cool thought. I and it's such a connection to take the emotional side and the research side. And memory is really a combination uh, of those things, you know, thinking about what your your personal history is and how you can connect it to the, the work that you're doing now because everything has, you know, happens for a reason and those memories are stored for a reason. There's a reason why there's a strong emotion there, um, a strong emotional connection. So that at least will make your, your doctorate more interesting. <laughs> So you're like you're, you're personally invested. Yeah, because I want to mm. look at it not as this, you know, this this assignment or this project, yeah. you know. But I and by the same token, I don't want to look at it as something that's like, you know, the greatest thing that I'm ever going to write because mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. That's, I know. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want you know. I've been um, like I said, I'm a huge podcast yes. listener. And so just listening to a lot of things to help kind of get my mind right and in position to tackle this thing. But one thing I was listening to was um, there's this 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 book that was written by this this Russian dude. I can't remember his name, but it's all about creating your reality. Right. And then one of the things that that is one of the tenets in his book is like not making one specific thing this huge thing, you know, like not blowing, like everything is important, you yeah. know, not just this one thing or not just this one thing, but everything is important. Even, you know, something that is mundane is like, you know, taking a few steps to get from here to there, like everything is important, right? Yeah. So, but if you isolate this one thing and make it, you know, blow it up in your head, then it becomes this thing. And we're not able to be ourselves in that, like kind of in that moment. So just kind of thinking about it from that perspective as well and being able to, you know. I like that. Get inside of it. All the, all the parts walk of the court around matter. All the parts of the court matter. We can't just have, yeah. you know, the extensions are Even important. Even the fifth. But even the fifth needs to be there, you know? And if it's not there, you still hear it. Yeah. See? See? Jazz philosophy. <laughs> That's our next project. The jazz philosophy book. It's going to be amazing. Um, I want to take the, the time machine, take the time machine back um, to 2011 and the, the very first Washington Women in Jazz Festival, which I boldly called the inaugural Washington yes. Women in Jazz Festival. Implying that I would then have to because you knew one. I knew I knew some part of me was like this is already the coolest thing. Yeah. Um. What were what were your thoughts on uh you know experiencing that and also being such an integral part of that and what do you remember about the very first Washington Women in Jazz? So I remember 
funny. I remember, <laughs> so the apartment you were living in at that point. Oh, yeah. And I remember rehearsing that wow. night with, with Lee and, and you and Lydia. And then I remember the actual, so I think, I can't remember if our, if my performance was like that second week. Cause it was. I think so. It was early. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember the spirit in the room at twins was just so positive. I remember I was sick. I had a cold. I remember that. <laughs> and I just remember it was just so fun. And it felt, it felt like revolutionary and, and, um, kind of, I don't know. It was just very exciting yeah. to be, I mean, I had played, I guess at that point, had I played a gig at Twins before? Mm. Maybe. I can't remember. Um, but, you know, to be in that space and with, with my girls, <laughs> I don't know. It was just something like revolutionary about, I remember like, like making my eyes like very dark. Like, so I wore a lot of eyeliner. So I was like, I want to look like a baddie. Fierce like, I want to, Here it goes. Yeah. And then I had, I wore this thing. It had like spikes on the shoulders. I had like oh. these little... I don't know. It's in the video. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, this is, yeah, that's what, I, that's, that's yeah. what I felt. And that's what, what I re- Yeah. Strong. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. That was fun. Oh, that was the best. It was just the best. Um, I was thinking about too, the, um, the first year I had this idea would partner people with like a vocalist with a, instrumentalist and for me it was super obvious because I was really mad at the way that the music community and at these jam sessions this culture of treating vocalists like women women vocalists like children you know so I played at HR 57 Tuesday Wednesday Thursday for the jam sessions it was a lot of jam sessions (laughs) and when a woman showed up there was rarely a woman that showed up and played uh, an instrument there was a couple of piano players that would come, which was great. But I, I think the whole time I was there, I never saw any horn players, any bass players, any drummers. Uh-huh. Um, so it'd be a lot. Uh, a lot of the times if a woman showed up, there'd be one maybe a night and, and we'll be a singer. Uh-huh. And so the singers would come up and, um, you know, they wouldn't, all the things we were talking about earlier, they wouldn't take command. They wouldn't know what key they wanted. They wouldn't know what, you know, they wouldn't have a chart and they wouldn't have a, uh, an idea of the tempo. They wouldn't know how to count it off. They wouldn't know how to describe the feel they wanted. They wouldn't know how to do any of that. They just came and they were like, I'm singing now, so someone will take care of it. And it irritated me to no end. Mm-hmm. And they would get on the stage and sing and would miss the key and I'd have to change the key or would, um, you know, all these things. They would miss the key or miss the bridge or sing the wrong part or sing the wrong, you know, sing the ending too soon or not be clear that the song was ending or wouldn't know that other people needed to take a solo because it was a jam session just wouldn't know a lot of those things and so that's fine that's what jam sessions are for Mm -hmm. is getting that experience however the men who were on the bandstand who were lovely just very polite they were never never unkind um would just say great great job Mm -hmm. 
And I'd be like, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. You need to tell them what they did wrong. So I got a bit of a reputation for going over and being like, listen, you have, you know, I compliment sandwiched like right, the like right, the manager right. uh, manager's daughter that uh-huh. I was I was trained to be. I compliment sandwiched. You know, you have a great voice or hair hey, full of sugar. Helps, whatever helps whatever we need to say. Yes, hey, yep. I like your shoes. Whatever needs to, you know what I mean. Whatever we need to do to get something nice out, and then, you know, and then be like, well, um, you know, next time some things that might make it easier for you and make you more comfortable is xyz and so i kind of got this reputation because these you know the the men on the bandstand wouldn't give them that wouldn't tell them that because they would just be like okay well then they're not gonna they're not gonna learn it they're not serious about this music i'm like okay well even if they don't have any musical training you know like any any training in schools or any degrees or any other jam sessions they've been to and they just wanted to get up and sing something i think that's amazing and super bold and clearly they're interested enough to get up on the stage so let's treat them with some uh some respect Mm -hmm. in a way that is very particular to the way that you are treating the men who get up on the stage and miss the bridge Mm -hmm. they would be outright rude Mm -hmm. you know and hey you missed it you know hey you didn't that's not it that's our you know come in and cut you off or whatever they needed to do so for me creating this festival from the very beginning I uh, I had been playing with a lot of uh, a lot of singers in town, and I knew that was kind of my bag as I I was being more and more taking on this role of of teaching singers how to how to run a band and how to count tunes off and how to put a set list together, and I fell into that mm-hmm. because I wanted to see them succeed. These were the only women that were coming, and I I felt them be really interested in this music, and I didn't think there was a space for that. So I started, you know doing that and then I said okay this is something that I want to have these women see that there's other women that are really serious mm-hmm. um you know and um I want to invite all of these vocalists that I've been working with to come to this jazz festival mm-hmm. <laughs> and be like hey look right not only look as in this other you know I have Jessica Boykin Settles who <laughs> you know head to toe is just exuding jazz but <laughs> I have, you know, I have all these women behind her and you can hire women to play your gigs. You don't need to rely on um, a guy to run your whole band mm-hmm. and take care of your charts. And then it turns into who's doing the finances and who's doing the booking the tour and who's doing the whole thing and the way that women have been exploited in the music industry. So all of that to say, <laughs> I... I'd love being able to bring that headspace that I was in at HF 57 at Utopia, at these places that were, were operating on 8th Street, I mean, U Street at that time, and bringing that into into the the mix. But, I, you know, I love how, um, you know, the focus, your focus on young musicians, mm. you know, because you think about, um, what is the statistics? that like even if young women are involved in music in like elementary school and middle school by high school they yeah they're not doing it because they feel very intimidated and you know all these things happen 
But, you know, I just think about my, um, well, our, our music education, we had a different path because we actually attended arts high school. Yeah. But, um, and in middle school, I, I came up in a time where, you know, those programs were still very much alive in the public school. So I played violin very mm. badly. <laughs> I had this amazing um teacher in elementary school who went on to become person superintendent or whatever over like all music oh. programs in DC Pamela Alexander. Amazing. Um who was just oh, she was amazing. Um so I had a little bit of a different path, but I'm just thinking, you know, traditionally singers are not given that same kind of care and attention and education as far as music reading and being able to sight sing and and you know everything is played for you you're learning things by rote mm -hmm. and then you know by the time you get to you know a situation where you're in public and you want to sing a song you just you don't have the the tools so I just think it's really cool, um, you know, that you're putting an emphasis on that, and um, and Shannon Gunn and her work with like Jet Girls, Girls Day, Jazz yeah. Girls Day, and um, that sort of thing to help to like really empower young women to you know to know that they can you know they can do it. It's like that you know that math divide that they're trying to kind of mm -hmm. strike that stuff down the STEM stuff, like getting more girls involved. It's like kind of feels like the same kind of thing yeah so. culturally there's so many things that we we tell ourselves as women like oh that's not for me mm -hmm. you know i'm like oh i wanted to play the trombone but that's not for me you yeah. know like oh that's not um you know so we have gendered instruments and then we have mm -hmm. gendered ex gender careers and gendered experiences and i think one of the interesting things about where we see women and girls coming up to the music music education system is that that drop-off isn't really happening with the string orchestra. You know, it isn't happening with the choir. Mm -hmm. It's happening with the jazz band. Yeah. <laughs> Very specifically happening with the jazz band. And why? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's because we don't allow space for women, for girls, for non-binary students to take risk. Mm -hmm. And that everything that we say is for women is is controlled. It's a very controlled space. And so if you want to take a risk, if you don't want to read your orchestra part and you want to take a risk, then you, um, that's not, that's not for you and that you have to, you know, stretch a little bit further. So in order to combat that, I think we have to continue to serve as, you know, models of people who are doing it and then also create a structure that supports uh, women and girls from the very bottom of the education experience to the top because we see them at the bottom having fun and and kids in general have fun they have a great time and then they you know they hit 12 they hit 13 and then everybody starts looking around like well what am i supposed to do? how am i supposed to behave yeah and um everybody wants to you know you want to fit in you want to yeah. do what it, you know yeah you don't want to stick out too, yeah, <laughs> too much and, but I, one of the one of the highlights for me working with you at the Washington Jazz Arts Institute was how you were this cheerleader for the young women and, and getting them to improvise and to, yeah. That was <laughs> amazing to watch. I Thank you. I feel like 
it's something that I've, 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 you know, I've tried so hard to be not subtle, but you know, sneaky about because I don't want people to feel stuck out, you know, like a sore thumb. I don't want people to feel like, oh, it's, oh, she's picking on me or, oh, she's, you know? So I, I think that something that I learned from Yarbrough, Dave Yarbrough, super early on and watching him teach and being in, being in his classroom and then watching him teach at Washington Jazz Arts Institute um, and being a part of that was just the very simple way that he just goes down the line. Yeah. Everyone will solo. There's no, who wants to solo on this? And I'll point, I'll point for solos. I, I remember a workshop I did um, at Cal Arts with Biggie Vinklow. Um, and she had come from Sweden and, and we went and we did this workshop and we were talking all about, all about these same issues and, and gender imbalance um, with instruments and education and all those types of things. And our personal experiences as being musicians and being on the road and working together and, and making records and, and uh, striving to be treated with respect and taken seriously um, despite the, you know, the onslaught of constant pressure and uh, dismissal. Mm -hmm. So we did this whole workshop and then after the workshop was over, we sat in on a class and it was like an improvisation class. And the professor, I think eager to show off his best students, just started pointing at people to take solos. And this was a almost completely improvised orchestra. Mm -hmm. Started pointing at people to take solos and all the people he pointed at to were men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. okay. We just, we just spent like two hours and it didn't cause any alarm bells mm -hmm. to go off. Mm -hmm. Like that's how ingrained mm -hmm. um, this system is. And thinking about how we treat students in general and how we, how we create this space where we only want to highlight students who already already have it all together. Mm -hmm. They already sound great, so let's put them out there. When in reality, I was not the top of my class at Ellington. I was, you know, I, well, I wasn't. I wasn't in <laughs> academics. <laughs> um, I was a nerd, so I took all my AP classes. Anyway, but um, I was number three. Let's not talk about it. I wanted to be number one, and then AP calculus came for me, but it's fine. Uh, but I, I was not the top of my class in piano. You know, when I was there, um, the like the DC Public School piano competition at Ellington, and I remember the very first year I did it. Um, I lost in both the jazz and the classical categories. And I had come from Oregon where I had won everything and I had been number one forever. And then I was dropped into this space where it was like, here, you are at the bottom. And it was so incredible to play up. And it was so fundamentally important that Davey Yarbrough was like, gave me an opportunity to play up. Mm -hmm. Did not, shy away from putting me in the spotlight mm -hmm. and he notoriously would say okay great we're gonna open this set with amy playing solo piano mm -hmm. and i just like i crashed and burned the first time i had this whole stride thing that i had worked out and i worked so hard on it and i forgot it like halfway through <laughs> but to be able to have that you know that feeling of like i am important too and and my path is my path that's something that I see this this legacy of people that have studied with Davey Arbrough and, and, you know, you and Brian Settles and Herb Scott and all these people that I commingle um, in the jazz community with. We all have that 
same thread that goes through us. Yeah, he's the hub. And, and he and I have a very special relationship because he really was like a dad to mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. my father died my freshman year at Ellington. Mm-hmm. Like gave me my lunch money that morning for school. I leave to go get the bus and like within, I don't know, 30 minutes of me leaving, like he had died like mm-hmm. on our living room floor. Mm-hmm. And so there was, for me, the rest of that year was a wash. I was just, you know, in this space. It's like, what is happening? Because the prior year, my oldest sister had passed away. So like within one year, it's like two major blows, you know, to my family. And at that point, I just, I had no interest in anything other than just okay doing what i gotta do to get out of school (laughs) i don't care i just want to get out of here i want to grow up i want to like just get a job and you know this is just all too much i don't want to have to think and expend a whole lot of mental energy uh, and emotional energy on anything because you know things leave yeah it was Mm. what how i was you know feeling and so i would go and sit outside of the band room and just listen to the band. And um, I never ventured inside. I didn't, you know. And then at some point in um, that, the time between, I guess it would have been my junior year, um, Mr. Yarborough just kind of started to focus on, what are you doing? Hey, you want to come and sing with the band? No, uh, uh, mm. no thank you. Wow, and you started, said no. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I just wow. want to keep my head down. I just want to do. I don't want to do nothing extra. <laughs> I just want to do what I got to do and get out. Get out of here. Mm. And so, um, my grades were bad. I was getting D's, and you know, I just didn't have a lot of just interest, and in, you know, I was just sad and. Um, and then he just started chasing me around, like, you know, asking to see my report card, like going to the office, finding, like looking at my schedule, finding me in whatever class I was in at that moment. He would just come walking in. I was like, what? <laughs> I thought I ditched him. I'm like, you know, he come walking in and, you know, let's see that report card. I know you got your report card today. And, you know, what's up with this deed? You know, can we do any better? And I was just like, I don't know. You know, and so I eventually, you know, relented. And then um, the summer before senior year, I did, uh, I guess that was like the beginning of the Washington Jazz Arts Institute because we would do, he was doing a program through, you know, Marion Berry's uh, Summer Youth Employment Program. And so, um, you know, he really helped to bring me out of, you know, that space that I was in, you know, and I say that he really is the reason that I do this, you know, because it really, the music just really, really saved my life at a time when I really, really needed saving, you know, and he's like, I just love him so dearly, just like my dad. I told Davey, I was like, I'm sorry, you have to share your dad because he is my dad too. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's very, very shareable. Yeah, he's, and he's he expansive. is a champion of the Absolutely. of the woman. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. He really, you know, he really helped to um 
you know, he would give me hard things. Like I knew from that point that I could do hard things mm. in music and things that I didn't like I didn't know how to do initially like writing out a chart and we would just do it over like he would look at it okay well but you gotta do this and you gotta do this okay so redo this and he really helped to um you know he helped me to gain my my voice and my confidence so by the time I got to the new school I you know I just felt like okay you're not gonna tell me nothing you know, yeah, this guy this. in my class is going to tell me something that I don't know because I already know that. Excuse me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I know myself. Yeah. So, yeah. You know all that. I know that too. And? Yes. But that's, I mean, that's that also that classroom equality mm -hmm. is everybody, everybody has a place. Everybody is deserving of an equal piece of attention. And that's so rare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't realize how rare it was until I left that space and then was like, oh, yeah, everybody's got favorites. Cool, everybody's got favorites, but we don't need to know right. who the favorites are. Like, right. everybody's got favorites and I can't get into that studio because I don't play like this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't play the right Rachmaninoff for my mm -hmm. audition, so mm -hmm. I can't get in this piano studio in Michigan. Right. You know, thinking about that. Um, yeah, everybody... Everybody, what everyone has to say is important. And he really, he really um, lives by that, you know, and his reach is wide and far. And he is, you know, he's an institution <laughs> in this town. And yeah. I just, yeah, he's the best. That's why we get along. So we're, we're in the club. We in the cool, <laughs> cool people's club. It's club. Oh man! Well, thinking about uh, your voice and your experience and how that's translated into your writing, I definitely want to talk about the song that we're gonna perform. Okay, <laughs> that you wrote. Is this lament? Yeah, let's okay. do that. Uh, oh, you want me to talk about sure. it? Sure. So this song <laughs> has such it has such a funny. It's like a serious song, but it, it it came from a place that was kind of silly. I love that. <laughs> so I wrote it. So we used to have this dog, Nikki. Mm. Her name was Nikki. And my mom got her my freshman year in college. And so when we moved back to D.C. in right before we Brian and I got married. What was that? 2001. Um, she came to live with us. And at that point, she was like she had to be like close to 20. I mean, she was old. <laughs> I guess not close to 20. I guess like 50. She was old, um, but still very full of life. Very. Um, Brian used to say that I was jealous of her mm. because she wasn't afraid of anything. Like here I am, I'm afraid of my own shadow. Like I'm afraid of heights. I've been trying to learn how to swim for the last five years. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> um, haven't been able to do it, but she was just fearless. She wasn't scared of bigger dogs, of bigger things. She was just a small little thing. And um, she loved to get out. 
She loved to explore. Mm. So if there was any opportunity for her to get out, she would get out and she'd be gone for days. And then she'd come back and she'd be like filthy and just like she had been out having the time of her life. (laughs) And so she got out one night and we were out walking around looking for her. We couldn't we couldn't find her. So, Mm. you know, it was just like the thing It's like, okay, we just got to wait till she. You know, until she comes back. <laughs> back eventually. Yeah. And so I sat at the piano and I just started, like, this melody came because Brian and I, we were both just kind of hanging out in the living room, just seeing if she would come back that night. And I just started kind of messing around on the piano. And this melody came and, um, and then the lyrics came after about basically about someone who wants to explore and you know, do all of these um, fantastic things and traveling and, um, you know, going to see the Eiffel Tower and climbing to the top and that sort of thing. But I won't do it today. I'll do it. You know, I'll do it later (laughs) when I'm more brave, Um, Mm. you know, kind of as an homage to this dog who was very brave and not afraid of anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's do it.
The Turnaround is hosted in Washington, D.C. by Amy K. Bormitt and me, Jessica Boykin-Settles. Amy K. Bormitt is our executive producer. Lila Maisto is our managing editor. Our theme music was written by Amy K. Bormitt and performed with Angel Bethay and Karine Chapdelaine. Graziella Gouli is our intern. The interview material in this podcast was made possible in part by funding from the DC Humanities Community Culture and Heritage Grant. This has been a production of Strange Woman Records. For more information on our new releases and upcoming events, visit our website at www.strangewomanrecords.com.